with the banana, I left and they said, we'd like to have you as a professor, but you, but no, we're, you can't do this part time. From the University of Alabama's Colorado's College of Business, it's Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories from those people who both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens, and on the show today, Lisa McKinney. Lisa is an accounting lecturer at the university, as well as founder and director of Colorado's Lift, an outreach program designed to provide business skills to the community. In this episode, we explore what our teaching style is like but also what opportunities you as a student have in a business school. Could you tell us about yourself, uh, where you started, how you became a professor in the first part? Sure. So my dad was in the military and we uh, moved around a lot when I was in school, but we ended up in Montgomery, Alabama, which has a military base. And so when I was looking for colleges, the University of Alabama was a good fit because he was an accountant in the Air Force which is kind of a joke in our family because when he talks about being in the Vietnam War, we kind of tease him a little bit about his calculator injuries and such like that, (laughs) his pencil injuries. So he was in Thailand and all those places, but he was an accountant. So he wasn't on the front lines. But so that's kind of a lot of people in my family are accountants. And so I went to the University of Alabama in the early 90s and I got my undergraduate in accounting. And then I got my graduate in the Master's of Tax program which is a real small program, but turned out to be probably the best decision I've ever made in my life. I love tax and I have had so much fun um, teaching tax, not only at this school, but to a lot of accounting firms. Um, I have a good network of accounting firms that I go and used to be in person. We could we could uh, meet and we'd talk through a lot of tax things. That was kind of something I did on the side. I really enjoyed. So I got my graduate degree in that. And I loved being here. When I was here, the school was only 19,000 people. So, um, and a lot of people rollerbladed. So I would rollerblade to class. Um, My classes were either in Bidgood or the newly built Alston, which was really exciting. And so I'd kind of zip through the hallways. You know how you see people on skateboards or, or all sorts of things nowadays, but rollerblades were the thing then. Had some horrible injuries on the quad, but, um, Loved being here, had a great time. So my first job was in Birmingham with a big four accounting firm, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And then I went to a local firm there, which is now RSM McGladry, again in Birmingham. Met a man on an airplane who had an orthodontics residency in Memphis, ended up in Memphis. So I had to have an accounting firm in Memphis. Then when he moved back to start his practice in Tuscaloosa, I commuted from Tuscaloosa to Memphis for a while because I loved that firm so much and I loved Memphis. Then that didn't work out. So I was getting a little old. So I then went back to a Birmingham firm. Then I got an email one day that said probably the year was 2001 that said, hey, we're auditioning for a professor at the University of Alabama. And I was, had never thought of doing that, although I enjoyed teaching at the firms and stuff. I was only eight years out of school, and I had never dreamed there would be an opportunity for that. And I was like, I'll, I'll give this a try. I'll go to the school and I'll audition, as they say. And what I'll do is I'll convince them that I can still be in the accounting firm and I can do this at night or on the side. 
Well, um, the audition was pretty easy because the guy in front of me was crying. Um, <laughs> he was so nervous. And I was like, well, I think I got this one. I really have a low threshold to recover from. So he was obviously not meant to be a professor. He was terrified or whatever. And I was like, well, all right, I'm fine. And I, I did something really goofy during the session. I remember I, I brought in a banana and a safari hat, and that's all I remember. I don't know what <laughs> I they told me to teach on whatever you want. I guess at least I was myself and they knew that I was weird, I guess. So with the banana, I left and they said, we'd like to have you as a professor, but you but no, we're, you can't do this part time. So I was like, yikes. Um I just made a leap and I knew that I could always go back into public accounting. So I was like, let's see what this is like. And now that's been almost 18 years. And it's, I, I again, never intended, completely fell into it backwards. Gotcha. And I know I'm actually part of your class currently and just wrapped up the semester. You have a big milestone that you just crossed. How many classes or sections have you taught by any chance? <laughs> I think of this this intro to financial accounting class, I think this was my 137th, 138th, and 139th time. So I always <laughs> like to make the joke, if you think you're bored, you have no idea. <laughs> I mean, you're doing this once or some people the second time, but I'm like, dude, you just don't know. You don't know. You know, you have to go in every time. It's the same material because basic financial accounting hasn't changned, you know, since 1494. And, and uh, <laughs> I happen to remember you mentioned the guy, Luca Pacioli's <laughs> right. name. You draw that into us and yeah. make sure that we know who the, he is. The father of accounting was best friends with Leonardo da Vinci, which is really crazy and was a monk. But yeah, so the good news is I also get to teach tax classes and tax changes all the time. So that, I mean, constantly, you know, when Trump was elected, he got a completely a huge package through. So then everybody had to scramble to catch up to that. So tax always changes, but basic financial accounting always stays the same. So I've kind of got both, which is fun. That sounds like a very yeah. diverse. And I know a lot of people, when they think about accounting, they think of in the back room, typing away, at, you know, <laughs> doing tables or on the computer nowadays. What made it so attractive to you, especially as a professor, but also teaching it to other businesses? Yeah. So I really enjoyed actually being an accountant and I did not intend to leave. I was, my career path was, I would like to be promoted to partner and I would like to do this or, you know, who knows? I didn't think that far, but I loved it. Accounting is solving problems. It's of course, everyone thinks it's math and it's not math. My kids one day asked, do you start at the number one and start counting all day? And then you come home when you get to a certain number. Is that what you're, I'm like, Yes, that's fine. That's good. You you won't understand. But the excitement of public accounting is something that was really appealing to me. You never do the same thing twice. Everything is challenging. Um, public accounting is so challenging. I never was bored. The clients are so fascinating. The work is so fascinating. Tax is so challenging. And so I was in tax consulting. So you know, trying to strategize with them on selling a business, buying a business, doing that. I can't tell you how fun it was. And again, the funny part is all of this was luck. I didn't know I was going to like accounting. I just picked it because my dad did it and my uncle did it and my cousin did it. And, you know, I've told the class before that there are only two career paths in my family. Accounting is one and literally clowning is the other. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I don't I didn't know if there was a degree for that or whatever. But so I chose accounting. But we have so many accountants in our family. But accounting has been so exciting. 
teaching it, I didn't think would be as exciting. But, and I think you've seen this in class, accounting is the language of business. That's a corny expression. But once you unlock the key, you are unlocking all of business. You, with just even two weeks in the class, I think, even the first two chapters, if you're willing to go out there and start pulling up companies' financials, what you're unlocking is unbelievable. And it's so interesting to look at Disney's financials and to look at, you know, Home Depot's financials or Apple's. And even in just a couple weeks of an accounting class, what you now understand and are able to understand is so exciting. It literally is unlocking business. It truly is. And I actually remember first day of class, you pulled up Disney's financial reports and you sort of like use it as real examples. And it's real world examples, not like fake companies made up, like a lot of textbooks like to do. But in doing so, how do you approach class? Like you said, you you taught it so many times, you try and make it interesting. But you also mentioned that there's like two types of people. There's people who get it and the people who don't get it. Yeah. And there there are two types of people. Some people will, it will click pretty quickly and we can kind of move through the semester. Then there are others that need to really put a lot of work into it to make it click. And then I should really say there's a third group that don't get it and don't want to put the work in, of course. Everyone, if they put enough work into it, could get it. It's just easier for some people. Like it was easy for you. It was easy for me. It was natural. For example, my husband had many times has tried to explain to me how a car works and go through the parts of the engine. When he's talking, it is not clicking. I'm not understanding because I don't think mechanically. So like it wouldn't work for me. I don't understand what he's saying. Physics, I didn't click with that. Your brain is just what it is. And so accounting was just very linear and just boop to boop to boop to boop. Just it all made sense to me. But some people think differently. And that's just so hard for them. Again, like me trying to take a class on auto mechanics, I would get an F and I would have to study seven days a week and have somebody help me. But why it's fun in class and why this semester has been so hard is I love people and different people. And at the university, man, you get everything. You get people from everywhere and their personalities are so different. So what's, you know, I've enjoyed about my job isn't even the accounting part. It's the looking at people, engaging with people, whether they're speaking or they're not speaking, whether they're talking through an email or they're talking to me in person. The fun of it is that individual person because I just truly like people. They're interesting to me and engaging with them and explaining things and getting to know them. So this semester, of course, has been very boring. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, my job was that I loved people. So when I'm talking to Zoom, I'm like, I'm going to have to have eight Diet Cokes because this is not, I get my energy from other people. So as the room dwindled down over the semester and, you know, less people were there and we had less attendance, I was really having to kind of jump up and down in the hallway to try to get excited because there, you know, and people couldn't talk to me because they had their masks on. We had plexiglass. It was really hard to enjoy it. 
I would say this semester is the worst I have ever done at teaching. And that includes the first time I started when I didn't know what I was doing. And that is because I struggled constantly like the student did to connect, to find that comfort zone. And, you know, we've got to deal with this next semester. So over the break, one of my goals is really think about different ways to engage. How are you going to do this differently? I think all of us tried to stumble through this semester. That's the best description. Uh, And we all just tried, students and me, everyone tried to go, how do I do this? You know, how do I figure this out? I think we all learned lessons about what we don't want to do again. And I think students have. I think I certainly have. So I hope that, and I, you know, one of my big personal goals right now is I've got to figure out how to engage with these masks and this plexiglass. I've got to figure out how to make it more interactive. And I did not do a good job this semester with it, but I think I've got lessons I learned. Mm-hmm. So and I think that's obviously bringing back to the aspect of there's so much externalities that affected this semester where it's, I wouldn't say it's a wash because I still got something out of your class, yeah. but it was still, I, I think you like you said before, there's potential there to have a lot more fun with it, to learn a lot more. But unfortunately, that was obviously cut short or at least reduced those opportunities. Yeah. But it sort of goes back to the idea of in your college experience, and especially nowadays, the opportunities are in front of students. So like, how do you take advantage of it? Because obviously, like you said, there's a you try to get a connection with the students because you're yeah. very person to person. Like you just love the interaction yeah. with students. So how would you recommend students on a regular basis, connect with you as a professor or how do you try to do that? So in the past, literally walking up after class and talking, um, some of friends, some of my best friends I still have were students 15 years ago that came up to me and asked me to go to Starbucks and we became literal best friends. I have a, a lot of students have done that. Now, not everybody is that gregarious and outgoing. So if you're more of a shy person, um, it can start with an email of, you know, I I enjoyed looking at this today and I had some questions about it. Can we talk about it during your office hours? Can we talk about it after class? Now, pre-COVID, that certainly was easy, right? So now we've all got to be creative, I think is the word, innovative. And to think we're going to have to push ourselves in different ways to engage. And so we're still going to have to figure out how we're going to do that communication. So is it starting with an email? Then do we need to do a Zoom call? But anytime a student has ever approached me in any way, wanting to get to know me better or tell me more about themselves, I have always been very receptive. And I think all of our colleagues are like that. I would say 99.9% of the professors on campus, you're always going to have somebody that's not like that they're here mostly because they love, I know in the business school specifically, in the accounting school specifically, our department head has hired every person that he has hired. He wanted them to be a person that loves students. Now, again, I can't speak for every major, every college. I think it's very prominent in the college of business. And I think that's why we've been successful. But I know in the accounting school specifically, every single hire he has made has been a person that loves students. So when you have that, that's the whole dynamic that even at this giant school, you know, and you're talking that you can have, you were talking about making the best of your situation. 
Um, and you're good at that. You're you're very comfortable with going to people. Not everybody's that way. So, you know, again, pre-COVID, I could engage with students as they were leaving the room. You know, like I'd see this student that was really quiet, that but there was there every day and was attentive. Obviously, the student's interested, right? Right. So I can say a little, throw out a little line like, <laughs> how was that? Was that awful today? Or, you know, so sometimes I will make the first move of for the students that you can tell are more quiet students. So the question is, how do I do that going forward? Right. <laughs> I've got to be creative. And obviously, it's exploring the potential in the future, what's going to happen. Obviously, teachers have tried to do it, but also you got the split. So now you have to manage almost two classes of students in yeah. the sense of one's online, one's right. in person. And none of us have been good at connecting with the online. Maybe somebody has, but I, across the board, people I've talked to, man, I don't know how to do this, right. you know. I think you're going to see, especially a rise, probably. Like, have you ever heard of like Kahoot? Like the idea, yeah, of like, the, like, yeah. What's well, like a quizzing? Have fun. I know, with interactive. It. Yeah. You do that. You have like two sections of slides you can download from your yeah, class. Yeah. It's either like the regular like lecture slides, or it's the ones with the you call it like the fun version, yeah, which yeah. is like including memes and including <laughs> like interactive content yeah. to get you laughing. Because the more you laugh, the more comfortable you feel. That's exactly in right. The class, which I yeah, think is you're a great right. You hit the nail on the head. It's Getting the student pulled in and engaged. And with me, humor is easy to do because that's just who my family is and who I am. And I love that. Um, I think also in accounting, the other thing that can pull people in is real world examples. And so I try to do that a lot because the book is I'm just kind of boring. You know, they the name book. the company's noodle cake and things. So yeah, and just, it's an app development firm. Like, <laughs> you're what are not they excited about? about it. But when I say, do you remember when Disney bought Marvel? This is what happened or SeaWorld or something like that. Oh, because accounting is so interesting. It's not interesting in a textbook. Right. So it's almost <laughs> pulling into real life. Yeah. And I know sort of, we talked a lot about the actual class that we take, but you teach the honors accounting sections mm -hmm. or AC 211 is what is it, the course is designated right now. Mm -hmm. And a part of that accounting usually has a lab associated with it, but honors accounting does it differently. Do you mind expanding upon that? Sure. So with the honors accounting, which is now called AC 211, the lab, they have allowed me to shape it differently. In the non-honors sections, it's just a traditional lab where a teaching assistant stands before the class or I guess just Zooms now, and works problems, and they take quizzes every week. We all know that one of the main tenets of the Honors College has always been service learning. And so naturally, a good fit for use of this lab was service learning community engagement. So the LIFT program, Culver House LIFT program, fit neatly in that. and. It's been around for about six years. A student and I came up with, not really came up with the idea. It's not a revolutionary idea, but started it in August of 2014. He is now a high ranking um, finance guy at Peloton in Manhattan. Oh, there you so go. So he's just an amazing, amazing person. But he came to me with the idea one day and I said, that's my idea. I've been thinking about that for six months. And he's like, it's my idea. We kind of joked. So we hit the ground running and asked if we could have 10 crappy laptops. <laughs> and we went out into communities that university students don't go into. So, you know, we had COVID this semester. So 
Lyft looked completely different. What it normally looks like is students go out into communities that they probably haven't been to. The West End in Tuscaloosa, Holt, um, that's not that far down the road, places where they interact with people using their skills and talents to help lift them up. So what emerged from that, I was primarily motivated, as was the co-founder, David Hose, primarily motivated by community engagement and helping the community. But the university has goals and their, yes, service is a goal, but there has to be more for it to be part of our curriculum. Mm -hmm. So what happened, which was the best luck or the, the best thing that ever happened to us is immediately we saw, and we did not plan that, that this was an enormous learning experience because this generation of student struggles with uncertainty, taking risks, gauging the room, measuring things, making judgments. This generation of student is definitely smarter and more talented than my generation of student was. No, don't, don't put yourself down like that. But we were different. Okay. We, when we had a test, they go, you have tests on chapters one through eight. That's it. Now we're like, read these three words on this page. Do that. You know, everything is so certain. Okay. And this, you know, that the whole world is kind of morphed into that. In business, I believe and have learned that the biggest, the best skill is to be able to face uncertainty and to make decisions and make judgment calls, learning from the ones that don't work out, but making, solving those problems, making those decisions and using your judgment and your intelligence to reason through it. So in accounting, that's the best skill you're ever going to have. So in the lift environment, for example, when you're working with a veteran and teaching them computer skills, we did a lot of classes at the VA in town. You are going to be one-on-one -on -one with that person. The person may not be learning well when you're trying to show them something. You have to adapt. You know, you hear the word pivot all the time. You have to gauge where that person is. So you're learning communication skills with people that are different than you. You're learning adaptation. You're learning flexibility. You're learning emotional control because you, the, let's say the veteran is frustrated. Well, then you're going to get frustrated. <laughs> all right. What are we going to do? We all just going to start getting upset, mm -hmm. you know? So we couldn't believe what we found was this lift experience was so important to being a business leader. Mm. I promise I never planned it. Of course, now I pretend that it was planned from the very beginning. No, it was. Don't worry. We're going to make sure you include that. I just wanted to use this huge, massive army of people to help out people that needed us, you know. And so this started out and has exploded. In, in uh, spring 2020, we had 575 volunteers and leaders and 50 different classes where we went to elementary schools, high schools, middle schools, the VA in Tuscaloosa and Birmingham, senior centers, community centers. We went to the ARC, development, developmentally delayed individuals. We even are now at the prison. So any group of people that were underserved or disadvantaged, I think is the right word, where we could, a student 
that's the workforce is 100% students. It's a student organization. It's a student-driven initiative. I don't really do anything and but tell people where to go. It's the students do 100% of the work. And they have to think on their feet. I guess that's the expression I've been trying to come up with. Think on your feet and make decisions and adapt as you go. And some students, it's a little scary and frustrating. And deliberately so. Because I think as they proceed through the weeks of the engagement, almost all of the time, I think they solve their own problems. Now, do we have a support network where you can ask for help? Sure, because that's realistic. You have that in, in jobs and stuff. But at the end of the day, you're the one that's just sitting there with that other person. Or now we had this semester, we had to do Zoom. You're still there with one other person. You're It's really all your thing. And you have to decide, do I tell someone this isn't working well? Do I, you know, what do I do? I, I think it's been an amazing program. And from my experience, it's been like nothing else. I mean, no other school that I saw or even class here at Alabama offers that experience. I know the Honors College definitely pushes that community engagement service learning aspect, but it's not until you get your to your junior and senior year where you can really take right. advantage of it where in such a early class, because accounting is usually taken your freshman, sophomore year, yeah. is that you're actually, you know, thrown embracing. into it. And like you said, it, it gives you those skill sets to go into later classes. Yeah. But I think it's honestly a great program. And with that, you also teach a couple upper level classes, correct? That's more focused on tax. Yeah. So I teach the upper level junior and senior level tax classes, which is just the love of my life. I love tax. Tax is so messy. It's such a disaster. Our tax law is the ugliest, messiest, most convoluted, ridiculous set of laws ever produced. And I love it. <laughs> because I have learned over the years why it's that way. And so what's been fun to me as I've gone through the years and learned is the history of tax. So I know where we are now. So we all know we're on the cusp of lots of leadership changes. Very controversial subject. You got half the country that says Biden's the winner. You got the other half of the country. It's like, no, it was stolen. And I will not discuss that. I try to keep politics out of everything I do. Right. but. Let's say Biden comes in. We just I just went through teaching and learning all of the Trump changes to the law. That's so fun in a way, because now it's like, turn up the table, turn, you know. Break it all down. And let's do what you know, let's do something different. That's fun, you know, to watch the different political changes, you know, and I really try really hard not to ever express a political opinion. And I often have people that will try to come up to me and go, I know you're a Democrat. I know you're a Republican. I'm like, dude, I will never talk about that because it ruins the class. It can ruin accounting and tax. So I try really hard to constantly, when teaching any of those subjects, never put bias. Now, does bias sometimes probably come through in a tax class? I bet it does once in a while. I try really hard to play both sides of the fence because, you know, I'm a true believer and you get to make your own decision. I just want to give you the information and whatever your decision is, I'm really not going to be angry at you. That is your decision. And I think you put it one way in class was that accounting is really the language of business. It really is the backbone of it. While obviously politics is going to affect it because they can change all the laws you have to run by 
is pretty much a separate language that you're being <laughs> taught and you have to understand. Yeah. Which I think is a great aspect. And I, it's sort of interesting for me to see that you pivoted in a way, away from, you know, working as an accountant to teaching people sort of like teaching the next generation of accountants to take your place in a way. But do you ever see yourself going back into it or? You know, the, that's a good question. Um, be, I have relationships with, I would say, six to eight accounting firms where every single year I teach. A lot of them I do tax updates um, in January. A lot of them I do training for the different levels, like staff, senior manager. But that is why I don't need to go back. I think if I didn't have that, I would deliberately try to get a side hustle as a consultant because I am such a better tax and accounting teacher because I'm at the firms talking to people about current issues. I don't think I would be a good tax teacher if I wasn't constantly being thrown in front of accounting firms and talking about the current issues. A textbook is just a textbook. You know, that challenges me to go to another level, which I love because I have to so be on my A game if I've got accounting partners in the audience, tax partners. I've got to really be on my A game. What is so great about that, as I engage with those accounting firms, I'm better at teaching because I know what they're going to see. Like when I teach my tax classes, I skip certain things and I just beat certain things to death um, because there's just aspects of tax that are just, they don't need to know, you know? And so having that relationship makes me better teacher. So that's why I don't feel, I don't, I've never pursued going back to an accounting firm. I honestly think that if I didn't have that relationship with the firms, I would be missing a piece of me and would need it. I mean, I'm just so lucky. I have all of the things that I love in life, um, teaching, tax and accounting and the technical and the, the, the accounting firm aspects of it and community engagement. I have the perfect job and I am in an environment where they have allowed me to create. It's almost like build a career, like, build a bear, but they were, <laughs> I mean, I can't believe how lucky I am. I am getting to do every single thing I want to do in my life. Wow. I know I fulfill every part of me. And I think that makes me better at my job because I'm so content. I think it's honestly, <laughs> you're probably one of the most engaged teachers that I've had here at Alabama. I mean, you're honestly taking advantage of the resources that it offers. I mean, such a massive university, you think you almost get lost amongst all your other you know, faculty, all your coworkers, but yet you still find ways to shine and develop your own programs like Lyft, which I think is honestly changing. I, I loved it when I went through it, but sort of looking towards the future, I know we're going to be wrapping up the podcast soon is one question I want to ask you is where do you see yourself in five, 10 and 15 years? Oh, that's a great question. So it's obviously a lot to dissect and that's why we're giving a little bit of time. But if you want to start out wherever you want to go is that's either, you know, in your life as a professor, where you're thinking to be, or even, are you going to be developing lifts even more or maybe partnering with, you know, the state of Alabama and working with small businesses? That's a great question. So I'm a, I'll be 50 soon. So that's kind of a milestone in life where you kind of need to assess where you are. My kids will be going to college in a few years. So here we've got this whole bunch of time that's going to open up. So 
my plans really are to make Lyft better. Number one, right now, I have to adapt it to COVID better because all I think so many people thought the virus was going to pass much qu- quicker. I think it's been a big, and there's always people like, I always knew it was going to be here for two years. But I think for most of us, it's been the surprise of, man, I thought this would be gone by, the, you, know, you know, January. I, I thought it would have been gone this semester. Right. So we work with youth, veterans, and senior citizens a lot and in prisons. I don't even know in fall 2021 if I'm going to be able to take people to the prison or a senior center. Our relationship with seniors may forever change. We used to sit with a laptop right next to a senior. Doesn't that sound horrific right now? This germy college student sitting next to a senior using the same keyboard. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to think the same way about things. I mean, so I have to adapt. I've got to get better. We've had to do everything through Zoom. I've got to get better teaching through Zoom. I've got to get better with Lyft through Zoom. This semester was three months of learning, messing things up. And that's how I always do things. I, I do want Lyft to expand. I have had people approach me about doing it at other universities, which I'm fine with because it's not, this isn't my program. Right. I don't actually even do anything. I just tell people where to move to. You know, it's a student thing. So would it be wonderful if other schools in the Alabama system adopted? We're certainly not giving it to Auburn. But no. Uh, nope. <laughs> not, not, not even a chance. Don't even think about it. <laughs> but, if you know, I've had people approach me about UAB or UAH and stuff. That would be great. I mean, it's a model that we've learned over the last six years what, how to do it pretty well. So, number one, over the next few years, I th- still think we're going to be dealing with the ramifications of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so immediately on my horizon is I've got to get better at this. It's not going away because I really thought it was. I think a lot of us were like, let's just make it through the fall and then everything will be fine in January. Mm -mm. You know, we don't even know how long it's going to take before everybody gets the vaccinations. We don't know if there's going to be another rebound of things. We just don't know. So expanding lift to other or, uh, schools and in different places, constantly cutting out the things that aren't working well and doing new things. Every single semester, I toss some of the things we've been doing and bring in new ones. Mm -hmm. It's weird how it evolves that way. I'm constantly doing pilots of things and then seeing if they work or not. So So testing the water at each time. Yeah, and then just see, oh, that didn't work, or let's try this. The potential is enormous. You know, we've even worked with ESL students. There are so many problems in America that university student talent can help with. Right. It's not faculty. None of us are doing any of this work. It's university students, a huge army of students changing the world. It's really exciting. Uh, honestly, I think it's a great <laughs> program and we almost built it as a franchise model in a way where you can, you obviously have the leadership in yourself and you have your students that help lead as well as advisors and whatnot. But then it's easy just to say, Hey, yeah, here's basically how we go about it and yep. roll with it in your community because the more people we help, the better. That's great that you see that we have all these written policies and procedures of things we've learned over the time. It literally could be franchised. I've heard that word before, but you're that's perfectly right. I've had somebody ask, would your franchise lift start at a different place? Yeah, we've learned so much. We've got a model that we're constantly trying to make better, but there are 
we, we kind of know how to do things. So it is. That's interesting. You see that it is franchisable. <laughs> right. It's sort of like the business, you know, in it's me like is the coming Kentucky out Fried right Chicken. There. Yeah. Right. It's easy. <laughs> and then obviously 10, 15 years, it's pretty far out. Do you still see yourself as being in the classroom or taking more of a step back? Obviously, you said your you know, kids are going to be graduating. That's a great question. Um, I worry that I will not be able to engage with students in 10, 15 years. I wonder if I will have gotten past connecting with them. I mean, I just think about it because I think about when I started here, I was 30 years old and it was so easy to connect with them. You know, I was listening to the same music. I was watching the same shows, you know, and as the years have gone by, the disconnect is getting bigger. And so I start and I still like a lot of the student culture and the things they like, but how, when will there be a point where I'm 70 years old, I can't possibly relate. So I'm going to be watching that, you know, because I have so many interests, so many things I can do. There may be a point where I'm just not a good teacher because I can't relate to the student because I've, my generation is too far removed. So I will watch for that. I also think that's a great point. Not many people are aware of that. And yeah. even I'm I'm a sophomore in college. I'm starting to feel that from like my high school sister. I'm like, sorry, what is the new craze? Like, I feel like I'm so disconnected to be honest. But looking back at college, looking back at your young career, what's one piece of advice you would give to yourself if you're looking at 18 to 22 year old, someone who's in the prime of college, still trying to figure out life and what they enjoy? Throw yourself into everything and be willing to adapt, pivot, and be flexible. I think that applies in college, in every job you have, and in almost every relationship you have. The most successful people I have seen in my life are people that read what's going on around them and adapt Mm -hmm. in a class. Man, I hate this professor. Okay, great. But do you get that you can adapt? And you can engage and you can figure out. So not being static, but constantly evolving and changing and adapting. I think that makes the most rewarding life. I think that makes you the most successful person in your career. Um, Being willing to change. Being willing to listen to other viewpoints and try different things. So I guess evolution, changing all the time and adapting and exploring other parts of you. What's one thing that you always find happiness in? That's actually an easy question because the one thing I've always found happiness in is engaging with other people that are different than me. And my happiest moments are when I am able in some way to help them with problems they're facing. For example, small businesses we work with in Birmingham. That's when I'm happiest. I believe that people are happy when they're of value to others. And that I truly believe that's kind of the secret to everything. Feeling like you're making some difference and you're valuable. It could be in your family. It could be in the classroom. It could be in your job. It could be in your peer group. I think that's a common way that people find happiness. And that's why I'm so lucky to where I'm at, because I find so many areas that I feel like I'm a value. That's what makes me get up in the morning. That's Lisa McKinney, professor and founder and director of Culverhouse Lift. And thanks so much for listening to Bama Means Business. If you're not a subscriber, please do subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. 
And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College business and what it has to offer. As always, roll tide.